Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn the Gospel of John. We are still in John in chapter 1, and I told you last week that you're going to have to learn some theology, and that doesn't stop just because we are in lesson 2 this week. We saw last week a theological lesson from John as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak of the word Lagos as God eternal. And He is. And He always will be God eternal. And so when we think about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, we must always remember that He has always existed, is existing now, and will always exist as God eternal. Coexistent with the Father. Coexistent with the Spirit. All co-equally God. And we learned that last week as we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I took you to 14 last week, and we took a glimpse into His incarnation. We saw His eternality. We took a glimpse into His incarnation. But what John's going to do today is he's going to take us deeper into the understanding of the incarnation of the Son of God when he teaches us that Lagos became flesh and He dwelt among us. And it's very important that we see this. It's very important theologically. But it's also very important as we study the Gospel of John. He is establishing for us theological foundations so that when we get to the practical things, when we get to the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see it not as a mere man performing miracles. We see the truth of it that it's God incarnate there performing the miracles. That it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the eternal Godhead here on this earth, doing the things that only He could do. And so we continue that journey today in John's Gospel. We'll pick up where we left off. We finished last week in verse 5. We will look at verse 6 today. And I'm going to read 6-18. through 18. And then what we're going to do is we're going to break the elements of these, this passage down. We're going to talk about what this means and what does John desire that we understand here. Verse 6 says this, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Here he's talking about John the baptizer. Many of you know him as John the Baptist. Uh, Though he was not Baptist at all, he was here baptizing. And he was sent from God to do this. We're going to talk about his task and what he was here to do. But He said he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. John had a message and he was preaching this message of light. goes on in verse 8, it says, He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has surpassed Me, because He was before Me. Again, John testifying to the eternal God, now coming as God incarnate. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the One and Only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. We're going to see what that all means today, but what I want to do is I want to break down this passage as we always do, verse by verse, seeing what the passage says, not what we think or what presuppositions we have in our head about the passage, but what is the passage actually saying? What is John actually led by the Holy Spirit here to pen and to teach? We see the first thing as we look at this text, the task of John the Baptist. The task of John the Baptist, we meet John the Baptist here in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Referencing, of course, the light of Jesus Christ. So that through him all might believe. He goes on. He says he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So we see the task of John the Baptist here as John opens this passage up for us. The apostle, speaking of John the Baptist, he is telling us about the task that he has. And that task was to witness as a preacher. To witness as a preacher and to point to the incarnate Son of God who was to arrive, who is the Christ. Matthew chapter 3 in Looking at John the Baptist's ministry, Matthew records it like this in verse 1 of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so John the Apostle introduces us to John the Baptist here, and he introduces us for a reason. He wants us to see John's role. Because John's role was a role that fulfilled prophecy. We're going to see... In the next lesson that we have in John, he's going to clear that up for us, what John came specifically to do. But he did have a task, and his task was to witness of the one who was to come, Emmanuel, we know, God with us, God incarnate. And he came to testify concerning the coming of the light. I told you last week, John established for us who the light truly is. The light is the Word. Lagos. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We saw last week, God eternal. But John is preaching a message regarding God who came incarnate. Meaning this, that God came in flesh. And so John was testifying to that, that the kingdom of God is near. He is coming. He did this in order to tell others so that they would believe and repent. They would believe and trust in the One who was to come and who was already in the world and that they would repent and turn from their sin and turn to Christ and believe. John took his role as merely a forerunner to Christ. I know it's difficult for us to do in today's time, right? To be second string or to play second fiddle. John was okay with that. He understood his proper role. His role was to proclaim the coming of Christ. That He was in this world and, and that He was coming to save that which was lost. And He commanded them to believe and to trust in that and to repent. It's interesting that we see John and where we see him in Scripture, he's the first. He is the first prophet that God has raised up since Malachi. There was hundreds of years of silence with no prophets. And here John hits the scene and he begins to preach Jesus God incarnate, the Son of God, coming to this earth. And he took his role as that forerunner, preaching with passion and zeal. In fact, such passion and zeal that it eventually cost him his life. He was a preacher of Christ to point others to Christ. He was not the light. He was okay with not being the light, but his duty was to point others to the light. He took that role and he took that role seriously, being okay with the simple job of just pointing to the incarnate One. I'm thankful that I don't have a really big job. I don't have to hold the stars in the sky. I don't have to hold the sun in place or the moon in place. That's God's job. My job, just as John's job was, is to proclaim the truth of the light. And that's what John did. 
And he was okay with not receiving any glory. He was okay with all glory going to the one who deserved it, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that John came with the task to prepare the way or to preach on the coming of God incarnate, the Word, Jesus Christ, and he did so. And so we read on in this text and we see in verse 9, the true light in the world. Who, who was John preaching of and who was he pointing people to? Verse 9 says this, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Verse 8 told us John was not the light. He just pointed to the light. Let me just tell you right now, don't look to the preacher for inspiration. Don't look to the preacher for enlightenment. Look to the preacher to point you to the true light. And when the preacher points you to the true light, you're going to see the true light for who he is, the true light. That's what John was doing. He was pointing to the, to the true light. And we see the true light in verse 9. This is the general light of revelation as we read there in verse 9, the general light of revelation, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. What does that mean? He came into this world to give light to every man. Does that in any means mean that every man will be saved? Absolutely not. But it does mean this, as we're going to see in a moment, every man will be without excuse, because every man has been enlightened to God incarnate. History tells us that Christ truly came to this earth, and He was truly in Jerusalem during the time that Scriptures say that He was there. That's from secular historians who are not believers at all, who will testify that there was a man named Jesus, and He did have a following, and He was crucified outside of Jerusalem. And so we see the true light that John preached about was coming into the world, and he was coming into the world to give light to every man. That's that general revelation that he gives to all of mankind. He came to enlighten with his light sinners to the truth. Sinners to the truth. Did you know you would have never known the truth about the fact that you are a sinner? until Christ came into this earth to enlighten us, because He is the true light to the fact that we are sinners and that we needed to repent of our sin. And so we see He came to enlighten sinners to the truth. John, in his Gospel in chapter 14, and we'll preach on this extensively when we get there, but in verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in Me should stay in darkness. He came into this world to enlighten people to the truth. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, don't forget that's what John is teaching us about here, came to this earth, God in flesh, to reveal to you the true light. Real, absolute truth. Seems like everybody in our time is looking for truth in every direction. But they just won't accept that He is real truth. John says, He's truth, He's the true light. In this world, to enlighten sinners to the truth, to expose the darkness of sin. Remember when you thought that your sin was okay just because it was what you did? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, For you were once darkness. He's talking about our darkness being something in the past. But when we are enlightened to the truth as believers, he says, But now you are light in the Lord. Then he gives the command, Live as children of light. So we see there that Jesus came not only to enlighten sinners to the truth, but to expose the darkness of sin. Uh, remember the day that you were saved? The day that you were changed, if you have had that day in your life? That day it was a bittersweet day, because in that moment you realized this, that you were bitter in your sin, and that you were dark, and that things did not look good for you. But in the moment, and in, in, within a fraction of a second, God changed everything about your sin he ushered you out of darkness and filth, and He ushered you into His marvelous light through His sovereign saving power. He exposed the darkness of your sin. That's why you cried out to Him in desperation. You realized how sinful you really are. And you cried out, Lord, save me from me. From my filth. God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, came here as the true life to expose the darkness of sin. To remind us, because men had forgotten, they thought there was some type of maybe small chance of some little segment of innate good inside of maybe a few of us, but there was no good in us at all. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
No one who sought after Him or who seeks after Him. God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to expose the darkness of sin. Not only did He come to enlighten sinners to the truth and expose the darkness of sin, He came to eliminate the excuses of the unbelievers. To eliminate the excuses of the unbelievers. I told you, all men, just as it said there in verse 9, have received general light. All men cannot deny God's existence, His power, and the fact that He is the only truth in this world of darkness and sin. They know that. That is why the lost world hates the believer with such depths when they point their hatred toward us. Why? The lost world doesn't hate the Buddhist. The lost world doesn't hate the Hindu. The lost world doesn't hate the various different cults who deny the eternality, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The lost world hates true born-again believers. And they have no excuse for their unbelief, do they? You know, you know how I know this? Because, one, John tells us that. That the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. I don't think that Jesus has hidden Himself from anyone. I especially don't think that He's been hidden in this country where we live. I especially don't think that He's been hidden in the Bible Belt in this country where we live. In fact, He's been exposed over and over and over again. But the light came into this world to enlighten sinners, to expose the darkness, but also to eliminate the excuses. There will not be a person who can stand before God at judgment and say, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I was ignorant to the fact that there was truly a God who created all of this. In Romans in chapter 1, if you guys have been with us in our men's study in Romans, you saw this way back in chapter 1. Verse 18 in Romans tells us this, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now I want you to see what the unbeliever does. It's not that the unbeliever doesn't know the truth. The unbeliever suppresses the truth, right? The person who comes in, they hear the general call of the gospel, they receive general enlightenment, and they walk out the door and say, I'm not going to believe that stuff because I don't want to change my life. I like who I am and I like what I do. They suppress the truth with their wickedness. It's not that they're ignorant. I promise you this, you won't be able to leave here today and say, I'm ignorant of the gospel. I'm ignorant of, of the light of God incarnate that He's shined upon all men. I'm ignorant. You won't be able to say that when you walk out this door today. Now you may walk out this door and suppress the truth with your wickedness. Watch what He says is going to happen. 19 says, since, they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Plain. You know, that means it can be easily understood. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. It says you can see God in His existence and His eternality all around you. You have been enlightened to the truth. All of you in this room, I guarantee you where you live, have heard the general gospel call. He says there are some who suppress the truth of that, by their own wickedness. And watch what that last line says. So that men are without excuse. God has clearly revealed Himself, and He has clearly revealed Himself in Jesus Christ to take away the excuses of the unbeliever. So if you're here today and you're still an unbeliever, your excuses, as long as that list may be, they are not going to hold up against God's judgment. Not one of them will pass the test. Not one of them will be enough to remove you from the justice and the judgment of God for all eternity if you die in your sin and your rejection of Christ as an unbeliever. We see the true light in the world came to enlighten sinners to the truth, to expose the darkness of sin, and then to eliminate the excuses of the unbeliever. There won't be a believer who has a good enough excuse. You're an unbeliever because you heard the truth. You didn't like the truth. You loved you and your sin more. And you suppressed the truth by your own volition. 
That's why you're an unbeliever. It's not God's fault. Did you know this? Nobody's going to be able to be there on judgment day and accuse God of not giving them the truth. He has enlightened them to the truth over and over again. He is true light. He came into this world to give enlightenment to sinners, to expose the darkness of sin and to eliminate the excuses of the unbeliever. Of course, we know this. That is in reference to the general revelation, the general gospel call. Uh, there won't be anyone who spends an eternity in hell who's received an effectual gospel call because those people will be saved. And we'll see he's going to teach us that in just a moment. But there are many, in fact, all who will spend an eternity in hell, they will spend an eternity in hell because they rejected the general gospel call that he has given throughout eternity. He has given to men through his creation, through his existence, through God incarnate coming to this earth and revealing Himself as Jesus the Christ. So we see the true light in the world. Then the next thing, number three, we see this in verse 10. The tragedy of the unbelievers. The tragedy of the unbelievers. Verse 10 says this, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He said here He is, He's in the world, the Creator of all. We, he already established in the first five verses, God eternal. Now He is God incarnate with man, and they do not recognize Him. goes on and it says this, He came to that which was His own. Of course, He's speaking specifically to Israel. But His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him. goes on and says, To those who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's verse 12. We're going to get to that in a second. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. The tragedy of the unbelievers. The tragedy of the unbelievers. I read 12 to distinguish for you. He's talking about unbelievers versus true believers. Look at the unbelievers first. This is unbelief that occurred even at Christ's incarnation where He came. Did you know this? The prophets for years, hundreds of years, had preached Christ and that He was coming into this world. They preached Christ incarnate. And then when He came, they did not recognize Him as who He truly is. What a tragedy. The Creator of all mankind standing in their midst. And they shouted, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Standing in their midst as true light and they refused to be enlightened, suppressing the truth for their religion. Suppressing the truth for their own self-righteousness, their own works, and their own sin. Why? Why did this happen? Because they're unbelievers. And unbelievers, in case you haven't noticed this in Scripture, are blind to the obvious truth. Just as when you were an unbeliever, did you know you were blind to the obvious truth? You were spiritually blind. Oh, you could open your Bible. You could open your Bible to John 3.16 and you could read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You could read that. You could see it with your human eyes. But your spiritual eyes were blind. And your spiritual ears were deaf. And the spiritual man or woman inside of you was dead in your sin and in your transgression. And dead things don't do Blind things don't see. Deaf things don't hear. And so you were spiritually blind, deaf, and you were dead in your sin and in your transgression. You were blind to the obvious truth. I know many times we who have been enlightened to the truth and we have come to faith in Jesus Christ through a sovereign work of God, we can't really understand. Why would someone not believe? They're blind. That's why they don't. Believe they're blind in their sin just like you were until God opened your spiritual eyes so that you could see for the very first time. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says this in verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's talking about Satan, the father of the unbeliever, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that's for all the people who say, well, there's just a little bit of good in man where he can, you know, just get a glimpse and see. And then he can believe on that little glimpse. He said this, you cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot receive him as unbelievers. Why? They are blind. Not only are they blind, they're bound to their sin. 
An unbeliever, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 20, is a slave to sin. How many of you would say, if you were honest, before I was born again and before God changed my life, sin mastered me. I was a slave to it. I was bound by darkness. An unbeliever in any condition that you find yourself, even a religious unbeliever who comes to church every week, is still blind and bound to their sin. You must be set free and there is only one who came to set us free. And it is the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lagos. God incarnate. So we see that there is a tragedy. Unbelievers are blind to the obvious truth. They're bound to their sin. And then the unbeliever is bent on rejecting the only Savior who came to save sinners. You ever had an unbelieving friend or loved one? Try as you may, beg all you want. They just would not see the truth. They were bent on rejecting Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, and so were you. And so were you, and we're going to see in a moment, until He did a work in your life. It's very important we're going to see that emphasis on He over and over and over again. And John, wastes no time getting into this truth. And the reason that I love that is because we're going to see this truth over and over and over again. So it's no coincidence here in 10 and 11, he talks to us about the tragedy of unbelievers in light of God incarnate coming to this earth. But he's also going to then go in verses 12 and 13 to teach us about true salvation or the truth of salvation that has come because God incarnate brought true salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He came, He came to bring salvation for those who God desired to save. I want you to read this verse with me in verse 12. It says this, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He, everybody say it with me, He gave the right to become children of God. He goes on and He says this, in case you missed the He there about who did all this work, children born not of natural descent, Meaning, you didn't just inherit this, because he knew there were going to be the Jews who still kept saying, we're, we're descendants of Abraham, and we're descendants of this, and we're descendants of that. No, not natural descent. That's not how you get in. But he also went on to say this, not of natural descent, nor of human decision. Right? All of you who sing, I have decided to follow Jesus at the top of your lungs, and think that He saved you because you decided, you're dreadfully mistaken. The only reason you decide to follow Jesus is because He quickens your dead spirit, He opens your blind eyes, He opens your deaf ears, and He allows you to see the truth. And then you decide to follow Him because He changed your will. He does not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. He says, but born of God. John wants us to immediately, here we are in verse 12 of chapter 1, he wants us to immediately see the truth about salvation. What does he start with? He starts with the responsibility of man, doesn't he there in verse 12? He starts with man's responsibility, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. What does it say? To all who received him, to those who believed in his name. That is talking about man's responsibility and their responsibility to believe. Now a lot of people like to grab that and say, see there, God's not sovereign in electing people to salvation. You only looked at part of the story. You only get part of the story. Read the rest of it. We see man is responsible to believe. Yes, he is. Why? Because God has given the general gospel revelation through the incarnation of Christ, as we saw in the verse prior to this, through His light coming into this world, so that the unbelievers will see their need for salvation. Is man responsible to believe by faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 100%. But I already told you this. Unbelieving man, blind, deaf, dead in their sin, bound to their sin, and bent on rejecting Christ, then what are they going to do? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're never going to believe unless we read verse 13 here in verse 13. The latter part of 12 clears this up for us. He says, yet to all who receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right. He gave the right. The right to do what? To become children of God. That's why I tell people all the time, you're not a child of God just because you were born into this world. You were born into this world a child of sin and a child of Satan. You were born in, into this world in unbelief and sin. 
It's not until you are changed by God. You become a child of God. And he says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we see the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God here working exactly parallel together just as God designed it. Man is responsible to believe. You can't erase that from Scripture, can you? No, it's there. God is sovereign in saving sinners. Right? It's His sovereign work. He said you're born of God. He said it's not of human decision or husband's will or natural descent. How do we reconcile this? How do we look at God being sovereign in saving sinners? The fact that He monergistically saves lost people. What does that mean? Monergism versus synergism. I'll give you a quick theological lesson. Monergism means one, operating to accomplish the task. Synergism means multiple things operating to accomplish the task. When God saves, it is a monergistic act. It is not synergism. Synergism would be your will and His will combining so that you would be saved. You know, you've heard the lie. Just meet God halfway. And He'll meet you the other half. That's synergism. That's not biblical. Monergism is biblical. Why? Because He just told us here in John that it's monergism. It is a It is not a human decision. It is not from your natural dissension. And it is not like that of a husband's will. You must be born of God. I'll say this to all of you. He uses that term birth, and we're going to see it again. I'm not going to preach on it too hard today, because when we get to John chapter 3, I'm going to preach on it real hard. But when he talks about being saved, born again, he's telling us this. He's telling us about regeneration, the fact that we must be regenerated to have our eyes open and our ears open and our heart open so that we can receive Christ because we are dead in our sin. When he's talking about this here in John, he is talking about God doing an act of bringing you into His family. You are born of God. I told you there's a responsibility of man to believe, but also there's God's sovereignty in saving sinners. Tim doing a monergistic work. People say, well, I don't know if it's all God. You don't think so? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, you know what he says there? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. Who began it? He did. He's going to carry it to completion. He is. That means this. He's doing the start and he's doing the finish. Uh, or we could say it like the author of Hebrews said. He said, let us fix our eyes in chapter 12 on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who authored faith. He is the one who started this thing. He's the one who will perfect it. If he's the author and you try to put your name as if you did this, you are plagiarizing what the author of salvation did. You don't have any place to do that. He's the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. It is God who has done the work of saving. John starts off and he wants us to know that. He says man is responsible to believe, but the problem is man can't believe because man is in the darkness of his sin. And it's not until the light of Jesus Christ exposes him to his sin, the Spirit of God quickens the old dead spirit of the old sinful man, regenerating him to new life, opening his eyes that he can believe, his ears to hear the spiritual things, and he changes his inside out through the power of God. It's called regeneration. Something that a lot of people don't want to preach anymore. You know why? Because they're afraid to give God all the glory. When we see the truths of a monergistic God who saves by His own power, through His own grace, according to His own will, He receives all of the glory. Not 99.9% of the glory, but all of the glory, just as He desires. 100% of it. And so we see this. We see the truth about salvation. Man's responsible. God's sovereign in saving sinners. How do we reconcile the two? How do we reconcile the two? Because that's what people have been arguing about for years. Fighting over it. Let's reconcile the two. You ready? It's not that difficult when you really get down to it. It's not that difficult if you read your Bible. It's not that difficult if you just look at what the truth says. God is the cause, and believing is the effect. That's monogism. God is the cause, and believing is the effect. He uses the term, born of God. So if it's not a decision that I make, 
It's not passed on to me through my descendants. It's not something that I request, like a, a husband would request of the, the, the woman that he desires to marry, would you marry me? That would be the will of the husband. But it is according to the will of God that I am regenerated and that I then believe. We see it as God and His sovereignty that is the cause of salvation. And the effect of salvation is the fact that man believes. All a monergistic work of God. You could not have believed. Why? Blind men can't see. Deaf men can't hear. Dead men can't do. Until He rebirthed you. Oh, don't use that term unless you understand it. You'll confuse people. You were born of God. He rebirthed you. And when He rebirthed you, now you had new eyes, new ears, and a new heart. You could see the things of God and you could finally believe. And you can't take credit for any of that. So it's the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God working according to God's sovereign plan. It is all Him and it is all by His grace. Man cannot believe until God graciously opens his spiritual eyes and ears to hear the truth. And that's my prayer for some of you today. You've heard the Gospel. You've heard me preach the Gospel over and over and over again. The general revelation and the general enlightenment of the Gospel has hit your human ears hundreds of times. I pray today that by the grace of God that He opens your spiritual ears to hear and He opens your spiritual eyes to see and He opens that dead spirit inside of you who is full of sin and filth and wickedness. He opens that to new life so that you can cry out to Jesus to save you because you are a wretch in need of salvation. John doesn't waste any time getting to this. He wants us to know this because you're going to see this over and over and over again. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus is going to, to remind us that no man comes unless the Father draws him. John doesn't want us to go through the ministry of Jesus trying to figure out where we are theologically. He wants us to know where we are theologically so that the ministry of Jesus, when we read through the Gospel of John, makes complete sense. He is God who has come to this earth as man, God incarnate, to rescue sinners for God by His sovereign decree and His sovereign power. I might get fired up and preach about this if y'all would let me. Truth about salvation. We see it clearly. Don't miss that. Then he moves on to this, the testimony concerning the Word. The testimony concerning the Word. Verse 14, the Word, Lagos, we looked at it last week, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the One and Only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One one, He told us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He established the eternality of Jesus Christ. And He wants us to see the incarnation of Jesus Christ here. That He not only was he God incarnate and is he God, I mean God eternal and is he still God eternal as we saw in 1 through 5 here in verse 14. He wants us to see that he came to this earth as God incarnate. God coming to this earth, a real man. Fully God, fully man. You say that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It sure doesn't. Isn't God supernatural in what he does? But we know it to be true because John is telling us that it is true. That God came as a real man. His name was Jesus. And He came here to dwell among us. The, the word in the Greek, dwell, here means to tabernacle. In fact, that He pitched His tent among us. Oh, it borrows that Old Testament term, tabernacle. Where God would tabernacle with the people and He desired to dwell with them though He was veiled. Jesus Christ. Revealing the fact that God still desires to tabernacle with His people. And He came as a human to this earth to tear the veil that had separated man from God once for all. He is God incarnate. John wants us to see that. He's testifying to that, that He came to dwell among us for 33 plus years. Jesus was on this earth to reveal God incarnate. Though He was God in flesh, please understand this, He was still completely divine in His essence. Or what we know as His essential glory. Jesus did not lay down the essence of God 
to come to this earth. Many people in error believe that. That when Jesus put on humanity, He took off deity. Absolutely not. He's God incarnate. He is deity and humanity all at the same time. And we're going to see at the end of this why that's so important. He came to this earth. God still completely divine in His essence. Fully God, fully man, all at the same time. Son of God and Son of Man. Have you ever wondered that when you're reading through the Scripture? Sometimes He's referred to as the Son of God. Sometimes He's referred to as the Son of Man. People say, which one is He? And I say, yes. Yes. He's the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. The full deity of God and the full humanity of man revealed in the glory of Jesus Christ, God incarnate on this earth dwelling among us. You say, well, that, that changes the whole story. I thought it was just a guy. And, and now you're telling me this is God who came and died on a cross for me? Absolutely. Your Creator who loved you so much, He was not going to allow sin to keep you separated from Him. He created humanity to fellowship with them, and He was going to do what He had to do to rescue them so that fellowship could be restored. And God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lagos, came to this earth and dwelt with men. I know, there's lots of questions around that, isn't there? Alright, they're all going ding, ding, ding. Well, my, my question is this. How can He and the Father both be God in essence at the same time? I want you to understand this principle. Difference in function does not ma- mandate difference in nature or essence. The Father can still function as the Father while He remains God. And the Son can in the same way still function as the Son while remaining always and eternally eternally coexistent and co-eternal with the Godhead. Just because Jesus has a function does not change who He is. His function was to come to seek and save that which was lost. However, that does not change His eternality that John spoke of in the first five verses. In fact, what He's doing here is He is confirming the fact that He is eternal God made flesh. That His deity still resides with Him. He never laid it down. He is fully God and He is fully man all at the same time accomplishing the will of the Godhead which was decided in the wise counsel of of the Trinity in eternity past. You say, that's too big for my brain. Me too, that's as far as I can go. But that's who we're dealing with here. And that's who John wants us to see that we are dealing with here. Incarnate God. He is God incarnate. Second thing that we saw there in verses 14-18, through 18, we'll pick up on 15 here. It says, John testifies concerning Him. This is John the Baptist. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has surpassed Me because He was before me. John, again, recognizing the deity of Christ. This is John the Baptist here saying the same thing that John the Apostle has been saying the whole time. He says, he, he was before me. I'm not real smart. You can go back and you can look historically and John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. But John says, He has surpassed me because He was before me. Now please understand this. When he says before me, he's talking about what John was talking about there in the first verse where he was talking about Lagos being eternally God. He says before me because he's always been. He always has existed. He goes on and he says this, from the fullness of his grace we all have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses' grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God the one and only. Or some of your manuscripts will say this, one begotten of God. I love that it doesn't say created by God. Did you know there's a difference between begotten and created? How many of you understand? Jesus was not created by the Father. That's why John taught what he taught last week. Jesus has always been. And He is eternal. He is co-eternal and co-existent with the Father. And when He put on flesh, none of that of His essence has changed. He has come to this earth as the one and only. He is the second person of the undivided Godhead. Please understand that. 
Though we talk of them in three persons, they are not separate gods doing separate things. Don't be confused. There is but one God. There is one God who has revealed Himself in Scripture in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. So we see that Jesus here, 100% God incarnate in this world. Why is He here? Why is He here? He's here to bring grace and truth. What John testifies to. He was here as God incarnate. What John the Baptist said just prior to this in verse 14. He's grace and truth. The law revealed God's standard, didn't it? What was God's standard? Was it standard imperfection? Was it mediocrity? Was God's standard just do what you can do? If you can keep five, that's good. If you keep six, that's better. <clears throat> what was his standard? I think when God instituted the Decalogue, He said do everything that I've commanded. Everything. Well, that finds us in a pickle, doesn't it? Finds us in a really tight spot, huh? We, we, we can't do all ten. When the law came, we know this. The law was God's perfect requirement. Moses brought the law and Christ brought grace and truth. What is grace and truth? Grace and truth is this. Though you can't keep the law, God has graciously come to this earth to rescue you from your sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. He's talking of the incarnate Christ here and He's letting us know that He is grace and truth. The law revealed God's standard, but it did not reveal saving grace and the truth of the Gospel. Why is it important that we see that? Because in Romans, Paul tells us this, we all know verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But if we keep reading, verse 17 says this, For in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. He goes on to say, Righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Moses brought the law and these people thought that they could somehow live by the works of the law. In fact, it wasn't until later that they realized through the revelation of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, that man cannot live out the requirements of the law. He is going to fail because he is in and of himself a sinner by nature. That the only way for man to be saved is if grace, saving grace, came to this earth to save sinful man. And God incarnate, Logos, the Word, Jesus Christ, came into this world, according to John, right there as grace and truth. Oh, everybody in this world is looking for truth right now, right? Everybody's looking for truth. seems as if you can't find truth anywhere. I'll tell you this, you can find truth in Christ. Why? Because He is grace and He is truth. You want to know the way to the Father? I'll tell you the truth about the way to the Father. It's only through the Son. You want to know uh, the way to forgiveness of sin? You're here today and you are weighted down by your sin. You are weighted down by your darkness. You want to find the way? I'll tell you, the only way is Christ. He is grace and truth. He's absolute truth. He's grace and truth. The very essence and expression of God's grace revealed. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came to reveal the very essence of God's grace to a lost and a dying world? And we see Him over and over again. We're going to see Him in John as our gracious Savior. The One who saves us in spite of us. The One who heals people in spite of themselves. His grace and His truth. The very essence and expression of God's grace revealed on this earth. You can't find saving grace anywhere else, can you? No, you can't. You're not going to. No one else has come to save you. He's not only the very essence and expression of God's grace revealed, He's the very essence and expression of God's truth revealed. He is the truth of the Gospel revealed. What is the truth of the Gospel? What's this? Man is condemned because of sin. And the only way out of that condemnation and death that sin has brought into your life is faith in Jesus Christ according to the grace of God. And it is He and He alone who saves those who cry out to Him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. You're here today, you say, what's the Gospel? The Gospel is this, if you're not in Christ, you're a sinner. And if you are a sinner, you are destined for judgment. And there is only one who bore the wrath of God so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God in hell. And His name is Jesus. And He bore that wrath on a cross and He did that as a sacrifice of atonement to free you and to forgive you of every single sin that you have ever committed. And in that, to impute to you His righteousness. Did you see that? Your filth for His righteousness. He imputes His righteousness to you. You now stand before a holy God, clean and righteous, justified and innocent before God. Even though you've been a sinner your whole life, Jesus Christ paid your sin debt on a cross to give you new and eternal life even this very day if you would just believe and trust in Him. You say, well, you said I can't do that in my humanity. No, you cannot. You can intellectually accept Jesus and miss the mark. But if today a sovereign God calls you out of darkness and into light and He opens your eyes to see the truth of your wretchedness and the fact that Jesus Christ is a gracious Savior who died on a cross for you and He equips you with the faith to believe and to trust in Him and the strength to repent and the voice to say, Jesus, save me from myself. Save me from hell. Save me and make me a vessel for God's glory. I promise you this, He's faithful to save that person today because their eyes have been opened to grace and truth. He came to open our eyes to grace and truth. How did He do this? What did it say? It says there in the last verse, don't miss it. He's God's glory revealed. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Watch this. And the Word, what? Was God. Now watch this. Who is at the Father's side has made Him known. How did He make Him known? He left the majesty of heaven. And He humbled Himself. And He humbled Himself to die in the place of a wretched blasphemer named Kirk Hall. You don't know me very well. That's my name. He died in my place. Why? To reveal the glory of God. To reveal a gracious, loving God who desired to save a wretched sinner like me. Wretched sinners like you. He is here. And He came as God's glory revealed. Making the glory of God known. By revealing who God is, He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. But He's also a God of justice who poured His wrath upon the only begotten incarnate Son. And He did that so that you could be freed from your penalty. He did that in your place. He came revealing who God is. His essence revealed in the person of Christ. And He came revealing what God does. What does He do? He seeks and saves that which is lost. I pray today that He would seek one of you out who's in your sin and in your darkness through His sovereign power that He would seek you out, open your eyes and open your ears and bring you to a regenerated life, quickening your spirit so that you could believe and trust in Jesus Christ today. Not by some decision you make. Not by some lineage that you are a part of. But that today you would be born of God into a faith. The faith that saves you according to the grace of God. So what do we do with all of this theology? Number one, love it. Because when you love theology, you love theos. What do we do with this theology? We ask ourselves this question. Why is this important? Just as we did last week when we got to the eternality of Christ. Why is that important? Why is His incarnation important? Why is it important that He came and revealed God's glory. And He came and He revealed grace and truth. And He revealed that He is truly God incarnate. And He revealed the truth about salvation. Why is it important that He was the true light? What do these things mean? Why do they matter? If Christ did not come as God incarnate, write this down and I'm done. Number one, 
We could have never received saving grace. We could have never received saving grace. Why? Because He is saving grace. We're going to see, next time we preach from John, we're going to see that John refers to Him him as the Lamb of God. He is that sacrifice that expressed God's grace to rescue sinners. Number two, if Christ did not come as God incarnate, we would not have known the truth of the Gospel that saves those who believe. You would have never known the truth of the Gospel. You would still be trying to attain righteousness by living to the letter of some law. And just as every man who has ever tried before you, you would have failed. You would have never been right with a holy God. Thanks be unto God that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to this earth to reveal the truth of the Gospel. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's with the heart man believes and it's with the mouth that confession is made. Number three, if Christ did not come as God incarnate, there would have been no sacrifice made on our behalf. No sacrifice made. I want you to think about that for a second. Throughout the ages of time, Jesus Christ is and will always be the only acceptable substitutionary sacrifice that removes the sin of man. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one worthy. Why? Because He was that perfect sacrifice. Many ask that question, well, why did God have to come as a human? It's easy. To die for humans. He came to die for humans. Had God not put on flesh, God is eternal. People, do you understand that? Had He not put on flesh, He could not have died. But He put on flesh, He came 100% as a man and 100% as God. And it is God in flesh who substituted Himself for you as a sacrifice of atonement on a cross 2,000 years ago so that you can be forgiven and cleansed of all of your sin. Oh, what a beautiful God we serve. There would have been no sacrifice had He not come as a man. Number four, if Christ had not come as God incarnate, there would have been no demonstration of the depths of God's love for those who He came to rescue from their sin. You say, what do you mean? Romans 5.8 says this. That God demonstrates His love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ, Lagos, the Word, God eternal, God incarnate, came to this earth to demonstrate His love for us in the fact that He died for us while we were still in our field. I say that to many of you today who are here. And you say this, there's no way that God could ever love me. There's no way that God could ever save me. And I say this, read Romans 5.8 once again. God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners. Wherever you are, when He quickens your spirit and opens your eyes and your ears and your heart that you may believe today, I promise you this, His desire is to cleanse you of every single sin that you have ever committed or will ever commit so that you can be presented and acceptable before a holy God. And He did what He had to do and He did it because He loves you. When you hear His voice calling you out of darkness and into light today, know that that is not the voice of condemnation. That is not the voice of ridicule. That is the voice of love. Calling His sheep to obey. Calling His sheep to follow Him. So Jesus is God Incarnate. He's God incarnate. Oh, don't sell Him short any longer. How many times we think of Jesus the man as just a little less than God. No, He is God. 
who loved You so much that He came to this earth to rescue you from your worst enemy. And that is you. You. Because you are corrupt because of sin. And God wants to set some of you free today through the grace and the mercy that He showed us by coming to this earth and dying as a sacrifice for our sin. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.